once again. Thank you all for joining us. As always, this is Nuance. I am Mike Scholar, joined by Jay Carter, also known as Timid. He is the chair of BLM Tokyo and the Hip Hop MC Extraordinaire. What's going on, Jay? Uh, not much. Doing pretty good. Got, you know, um, finally got some good news this past week with the, the TED Talk. We'll get into that in a minute. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We definitely will want to catch up on that. But we also have a very special guest with us this week. We are joined by Quasi Asari of 2050 Forums. What's going on? Quasi. How you guys doing? Doing all right. We're doing all good. How are you doing? I'm great. Yeah, just... Uh... You know, a little a little down just because my team lost this weekend, but you know, pretty good in general. We're going into uh, you know, February that has a lot of I think positive things happening all over the world, but you know, uh kind of keep our keep feet grounded a little bit just because we are facing some significant challenges as well right now. Absolutely. And let's let's get into that. I mean, that is that's kind of what started the the podcast off last year was uh the super bowl that was one of our our first episodes when we talked about the halftime show there um i believe that was the very first discussion that we ever had on here because it was notable to us since it was hip-hop being featured for the first time really in that prime slot at the halftime show and it kind of kicked things off no pun intended for us and we've been at it every year had a double day yeah absolutely um and you know there've been some interesting um you know halftime shows the last uh, couple of years um that is pretty much connected to you know the interest that we have because you know Jay-Z has been helming that um for the, what the past 4 years with that uh, agreement that Rock Nation signed with um the NFL so so I, I've taken a, we took a, I took a look of it. Um, the last four, like we had what, four years ago, it was um, JLo and Shakira. Uh, then it was The Weeknd. Then last year it was Dr. Dr. Dre and crew. And then this year it was Rihanna. So this has been, past four years, it's been pretty much connected to like hip hop, R&B. It's pretty significant. Right, right. Well, last year, I think it was very striking to us that that was the first time, as far as I know, that hip hop really in itself took center stage and it wasn't R&B or other types of genres. It was really hip hop. Of course, you threw in the Mary J. Blige and all the flavor in there, but hip hop was the focal point last year. Right. And even, yeah, hip, uh, Mary J. Is, is hip hop has always been considered like part of the hip hop crew. You know, she's yeah, hip hop. But she's the she's like the queen of hip hop soul or what they call it. Sure. So I think that's pretty, you know, and I, I remember when when Jay signed with NFL, he struck that deal with the NFL, and that was still people were kind of boycotting or, or coming off of what are we doing next as far as the boycott, um, the Kaepernick boycott of the NFL. And Jay signed the deal and he got a lot of flack for it because it was like what are you doing? Like, we're supposed to be, you know, we're not supposed to be working with them. And Jay was like, you know, we were trying to do some actions. What are we going to do next? This and that. And so the people I just listed, like that many in that order from this genre and this culture, that wouldn't have happened without Hove. I mean, I think he was, you know, playing, playing chess in that regard. No, I think Jay-Z has always been extremely savvy and has played every angle his entire career to advance his career and to aggregate amazing resources and talents. And working with the NFL was one of his heaviest moves for sure. Uh, at a moment when they really needed help in the urban community to kind of ground themselves, who better than a partner with the, you know, the world's greatest MC, uh, you know, it was genius, I think, uh, on, his, on his end. And you saw what, you know, how he kind of worked with the Brooklyn Nets, created value for that franchise, made his exit, you know, at the right time and transitioned to the NFL opportunity. It was brilliant. Now, speaking of Jay-Z, I do remember a story when he became president of Def Jam. 
he brought Neo in. I think he had said that he had received a demo previously or had heard of Neo, but it was kind of just like sitting on his desk or kind of in the back of his mind. But then when he got in that position, he was looking for new artists and he thought, whatever happened to that guy, Neo, maybe I can bring him on. Did something like that happen with Brianna? But if I recall correctly, he was responsible for putting her on too. Uh, well, I mean, she's been signed to Rock Nation, I believe, since the beginning of her career, um, since the very first single. Uh, and so I think he's been pretty involved in her career pretty much from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he even called it out in one of, uh, I forget what verse, one of his verses, and he's talking about, um, as far as uh, billionaires in in hip hop or in in the culture, and he said it's you know I I, I did this you know it's me yay and, and Riri's a, a billionaire now so like it's like you know I've got the success I'm showing you that we can do this type of thing so yeah, yeah it's instrumental according to what I'm seeing here Jay Z signed Rihanna to her first record deal in 2006 yeah so wow wait 2006 she's been around that long sure. The, I remember that since the MySpace days, when she first came out. I remember seeing was, her grow up in front of our eyes. It's crazy. I can't remember. 2006? Yeah. She would, remember she was on Punk's, too. Like that's, I guess that's how far back she goes. Now, what did you think about the halftime show? Come on, let's just uh, You know, I, I thought it was good. You know, um, it's hard to go from you know, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, 50 Cent, and Dre, so anything else after that, right? It's kind of like, no matter what they did, it was the energy level just was not going to be able to, you know, uh, match that. But I think they went a little bit of a different direction with the female energy. Uh, Rihanna has, hasn't really been around in the public eye for the last couple of years. With the pregnancy, it was like this whole crazy reveal as well. So um, I thought they hit their mark. I think um, all the reviews have been glowing. Everyone really loved what they saw. Uh, you know, I wasn't really watching the game for the halftime show. So I, you know, I, it, it, I thought it was fine, honestly. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Because you have a performance that on its own, looks and sounds good it's got good visuals good sound good backup dancing good presentation good light show good everything and i feel like sometimes people just want more maybe the bar was raised last year i don't know but it seems like a good to great performance isn't good enough for some people because they're expecting magic they're expecting a million guest appearances and you know, crazy things happening but i mean it was, it was a good set at halftime right i mean what more do you really yeah, no i i i definitely expected jay-z to come out at some point which you know i think it was good that he didn't actually just let her own that you know mind share and the space and and just let her fill it the way that she did i thought was beautiful and the contrast this very masculine football with you know, rihanna's light was was beautiful and and that's what i'm hearing a lot of uh, people who are they were just expecting jay to come out um and I, i've heard it over and over i even listened to like the the breakfast club and they were talking about it and like over half of the callers were calling in like oh we expected hove to show up um and that's that interesting to me that they expected jay-z in particular because my thinking was okay and i'm a bit biased because i'm more of a hip-hop guy than an rb guy so i know rihanna mostly from hip-hop songs like her hooks and she even did some of her hooks on the set. So I was expecting not necessarily Jay-Z, maybe T.I. can come out for Live Your Life or one of the hooks. I mean, she wasn't going to bring out Kanye probably, but she sang all of the lights. Like I'm thinking a rapper that she's worked with, maybe even Eminem on the monster or something, who knows, you know, but not necessarily just Jay-Z, but he was one of the three, I think you would expect if she was going to bring out a rapper. Yeah. I mean, cause they've got, yeah, he was probably in the building, right? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. You know, he had to be in the building, but They've done they've done done several together and like she's basically like she's his artist, so to speak. So I can understand why people would expect um, Jay to come out. I can also understand why Jay wouldn't come out. Um, one, because like you said, she's going to own the space. Let her let her stand. This is also her first performance in public in like seven years. Um, oh, so wow. like, boom, like, it's, it's Rihanna. Let's do this. Uh, but also, since he is the producer of the show, 
Some people might have some kind of feelings about that. Oh, you're going to, you're going to produce the show and put yourself on the biggest stage, you know? So. so I can, yeah, I can no, say that. You're right. Do you think because of what happened last year, people were expecting that more than they would ordinarily? Or is it always going to be a thing now where when there's a performer announced for the halftime show, we're always going to want special guests? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's kind of a funny thing because you, you kind of, as a fan, uh, you do have this little anticipation for the secret s- surprises. And you see that at Coachella, you see it different festivals i mean i you know that's something hip-hop has always kind of delivered is that secret x factor um uh you know i i remember one time i went to see tulip quali this is a long time ago but it you know uh by the end of the show most def had come out high tech had come out and a, a dave Chappelle who was playing little little john at the time had come out and so you know, you kind of expect that kind of stuff in hip hop, especially at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why they didn't do it because they wanted to like allow Rihanna to just own the night. And I can't tell you how many posts I saw that, you know, Rihanna was the MVP of the Super Bowl, this and that. People loved it. So they hit their mark. They didn't need Jay Z to come off the bench. She, she owned it. And, uh, she reestablished herself as, you know, basically Beyonce's biggest rival, right? I mean, it's it's kind of yeah. like a two two diva, uh, two divas at the top there. I think. Is a good point about hip hop being known for that. You have albums with all these guest appearances. People don't know who's on your album, and you do a show. You bring out all your peers and yeah i mean i, I saw a stretch and bobito show and pain in the ass came out that his skit his um, okay i'm reloaded skit right it's like you bring on everyone that's just, that's kind of in the hip-hop tradition so uh i i do see that i probably would have liked it more myself but that's just me i understand the point of doing something unexpected if people wanted to see the guests were or not even necessarily wanted but were thinking that what was going to happen if you could hold it down yourself that's making a statement too i mean yeah and i get that but this is not what we saw last year wasn't as far as bringing people out wasn't such a, a, an anomaly. Like, I mean, you think other Super Bowl halftime shows, there were always guests. People always brought surprise people up on stage. This was probably more the anomaly where it was just one single performer. Nobody else came up on stage. I think that was more the case in, in this time. Now, to me, it was a little the weekend. The weekend set was kind of similar to that. I suppose. Oh, was it? it was just him i don't think he brought anybody out okay okay i thought i thought i don't know i thought it was a little flat this this time around i mean she was she she doesn't have a lot of good performance energy um and uh, actually charlamagne the god kind of called it like she performed like she was jay-z she kind of performed like a rapper because you know with an r&b singer you expect that they're going to be doing like all this crazy choreography and they're going to be doing all this costume changes and this and that. And she just came out and just spit her bars. And like, that was it. Let me ask you this. She, she is pregnant. Yeah. And I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her perform perform much. So I don't know when she's not pregnant. Does she do a lot of dancing and moving or does she usually kind of spit their bars? Yeah. That's my question. I haven't seen her perform in so long. I don't even know. And that was confusing to me too. When they kept saying that she's back, she makes a return. In my mind, I'm like, oh, was she at the halftime show before she's making her return to the halftime show? But no, like you said, she just was out of music for many years. Yeah. I mean, I think because she's maintained her relevance with Fenty and all of her brand extensions, it doesn't seem like she went anywhere. But really, she hasn't produced. I think her first record that's come out was just earlier this year. So, you know, just in the last few months. And so, uh, I think they use that as a marketing hook, obviously, like Rihanna's back, like whatever. Um, but I get it, you know, technically she hasn't been on the stage similar, similar to how she was. And I think a lot of performers are actually going through that same thing with the pandemic, having kind of put a kibosh on live shows. Uh, you know, you're seeing people like Bruce Springsteen and others come back and be like, Oh shit. Well, we were going to do our, you know, final tour in 2020, but, I guess we're going to do it now, right? And, and 
uh, a lot of artists are coming back to the stage. They have to rebuild those performance muscles. Um, and so, yeah, she is back, back on stage for the first think, time in years. I think we want to, want to give it, you know, you did mention like, Oh, she's like established or reestablished herself as like Beyonce's main competitor. Um, and just kind of, and I was very surprised to hear this, but um, actually like she's Rihanna's sold like 150 million records more than Beyonce. Um, she's wow. accolades wise. She's surpassed Beyonce. And I, I was very surprised to hear that. I didn't realize she was that level and that big um, as far as her music. Cause I just, I was not the, the, the follower of Rihanna. Um, so. Yeah. And Beyonce took a bit of a break too, when she started the family and everything and she, was gone for a while. Thank you to everyone for tuning in in the chat. Jeremy says we needed more artists. James says, I like the halftime show. It was interesting. I didn't realize the platforms were real at first. I thought it was a video and then she'd appear on the stage. Mm. Yeah. It was very, very, you know, I thought it still was a good look regardless. You know, I thought it was a good look. We could have. I want to see more rappers at the Super Bowl in general whether they're guests, whether they have their own show. I mean, let's even ask that. Who do we think is the next rapper to be featured at the halftime show? Oh, wow. I would have said Kanye, but obviously he's not going to be on there anytime soon. Um, <laughs> that is maybe Drake. I mean, although he's Canadian, so that's a little weird, but I think Drake, Drake. I think, you know, Drake is probably the one who probably be positioned the best for uh, a halftime show. Do you think they would ever give it to Kendrick, given that he just won the best rap album? He's kind of getting those accolades too. But he's he's done it already. He did it with um, yeah, with he appeared, last year. he appeared briefly. But I mean, as far as giving him like a headline performance, performing live at his show, I don't think so. Not not since he appeared recently on another stage. Um, I don't think they would give it to him that soon. So it seems to me that we might not be getting any rappers <laughs> before we get more singers. I think we're good, probably going to get a singer um, because we've had a lot of hip hop adjacent culture the last four years. I think they're going to switch it up next time. Um, and yeah, it would be know, good energy, even EDM. Like, let's see, I don't know, Polkenfold uh, or not Polkenfold, but like Calvin Harris, right? Or somebody like that. You know, it might be interesting. Mm. We'll, we'll see. Hopefully. Um, it's what about a mix too? That would be interesting if you have different genres some crossover. Like when they had J Lo and Shakira, that was kind of like a cool, like back and forth, you know, kind of situation. And of course, the the legendary JT and Janet, you know, uh, you know, uh, it'd be yeah. interesting to see. You know, maybe they'll go super young, like a Billie Eilish, right? Like just completely change change it up, you know. Mm. What about a versus type situation with different rappers going back to back with their hits? Or I mean, Bad I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Bad, Bad Bunny is a great choice. Yeah, I mean, he's had Lightning Coachella. He he's obviously has had a breakout year. Yeah. Harry Styles, right? With one album of the year last year. Yeah. Um, I could also see them going like country, you know, like uh, Florida Georgia Line, Kid Rock. Uh, you know, just totally the opposite of hip hop, right? Just to really go after that other demographic. Um, Even though Kid Rock came up through hip hop, yeah, we don't want Kid Rock. We don't want no Kid Rock. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I've booked the Democratic and Republican national conventions, like satellite events, at uh, the DNC and RNC in 2012 and 2016, and um, it's really hard to book acts for the Republican convention. And pretty much every year you got Blues Traveler, uh, Kid Rock are like the two headliners. And and then it just kind of falls off really heavy from there, you know. Yeah, nobody wants to be associated. So um, just a, it's funny. I'm mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's insane. No, I mean, unfortunately, that is the case. I guess they could get Kanye to do it next year, maybe. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Wow. Well, ironically, when I, the first Democratic National Convention I went to in 2008, I saw Kanye perform at the Recording Industry Association of America Party. And that was like literally the hottest ticket. It was insane to get. Um, since then, a lot has happened. 
So I don't know. I remember that. He posted a selfie with Joe Biden at that time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it, he was all about that at that moment. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened between you know uh, 2016 and 2020 or whatever, um, but you know, if, if they could figure out a deal, that would be a coup if they could get Kanye to play the RNC. I mean, that would be crazy. I would not be surprised if that happens. Now that you mention that, I would not be surprised. You're speaking the idea into existence. Yeah, that, <laughs> I can see that really happening. Jay, I wanted to ask, because I think you've seen some stuff online. I saw a few things about that moment. Was that the sniff? What, what was that all about? Oh, well, there was controversy with Rihanna's performance. Um, and, and actually, it was you who brought it to my attention. Then I went back and, and checked it because I didn't notice it. But apparently in the middle of her performance, she reached down and she kind of scratched her crotch and then she brought it up and she sniffed her fingers. And so you uh, a lot of people are uh, upset about that. Um, talking the whole about thing it. is kind of confusing to me. I saw some people talking about it and then I think I sent I sent it to you. I was like, what is this? And I think you saw some more stuff, I, I, I guess. I, I'm kind of lost as to why someone would do it, I guess, but also why is it a big deal? Like what, why, like who cares? Like why is it such a big thing that people are trying to make of it? She's, she, you know, she scratched her, her veg and then she sniffed the fumes. Like, I mean, I, I can understand why some people are like, that's a little disgusting, yo. I, can, I mean, on national international TV is probably not the move you want to make, but yeah. And she did it purposely. Cause I went back and watched it and thinking, okay, maybe they're just reading into it. It make Maybe it was just a move like Michael Jackson and she just brought up her finger or something. But no, like it looked like she purposely because then she like kind of winked at the camera and smiled like, yeah. No, it definitely looked choreographed, which is why it was kind of confusing to me. Like, why would you put that into your set? Like, it's just it's just weird. And I don't know why it was part of that much outrage either. I can see people think, oh, that's kind of gross. But people were really mad about it. I think it's I think the really mad is, is more the conservative side that they're going to get mad anyway. Um, but it was just kind of, yeah, like, really, did you need to do that? So I could, the whole thing could definitely is, see how it could be a little bit uh, off putting. It's I guess it's sexy. <laughs> it's sexy. Okay. Some people might. I mean, I can see people like, yeah, I would do that. I'd sniff her fingers. But, you know, oh. I mean, it, it, look, look, we're talking about uh, about pop stars, right? They do shocking things on stage. Like, this is not the first time someone's done something shocking. Certainly not the first time someone's grabbed a crotch. I mean, that was Michael okay. Jackson's whole career. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so let me put it like this then. Do you think that was done intentionally for the purpose of creating controversy as her provocative moment? This is my Janet moment. She's bad girl Riri, so maybe... Yeah, I mean, I could see that. It was a pretty, like, uh, safe and, uh, you know, everyone was wearing a lot of clothes, right? It was a very safe, kind of family-friendly performance. And so for her to put that little accent in there, like a little nod to her her, her bad girl sauna, I think makes sense. I dig that as a concept. I don't know if that's the way to do it or whatever, you know, did what she did, but I get where you're coming from with that, right? Like, okay, this is maybe too sanitized. Even I'm at the Super Bowl. People are saying that why are we even messing with them? And, you know, like, it's kind of like a keep a real kind of moment. Let, let, let me be a little edgy, kind of maintain that side of me, you know? Agreed. I can see yeah. that. You know, and that could be part of, you know, like I don't watch her performances. So, I mean, that could be something that, you know, she kind of does on her, her performances anyway. Her signature move. <laughs> yeah, that could be it, you know. I mean, what Fenty's got, like, perfumes and stuff. Maybe oh, my goodness. selling the Fenty off of herself. I yeah, I mean, you know, she started the performance putting her makeup on very intentionally, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of it as well. Right. Yeah. So. Jeremy in the chat says, did Prince sniff his fingers? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, Prince sniffed a whole lot of stuff. All right, like let's let's be clear. Like they were out there too. I mean, remember remember Prince coming out on on stage and like the 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 assless chaps and like just butt cheeks on the stage. Like I, I think people just kind of were in that moment where everything is something that triggers someone and they forget about moments that they used to love. And so yeah, I think people are very sensitive at this moment. Uh, 
get a, you could piss people off for so many reasons now. Yeah. It's it's really hard to like do anything that someone's not going to be like, well, I don't like that for this reason. You know, it's you can't please everybody. So I, I think in that case, as an artist, she took her liberty. That was her how she felt and her expression. So I, you know, let her have that. It's a, it's up to her, really. Yeah, it's interesting though, Jay, that you say you believe it's mostly conservatives who are mad and. You might be right about that, but thinking of how the culture is now, you usually see conservatives saying people should be able to say whatever they want. Whatever happened to freedom of speech, I can do this. Artists can do whatever they want. People can say whatever they want. It's usually people on the far left who are trying to censor people and then say you can't go to colleges and things like that. So what's up with that? Is that just because she's black? I mean, is that a racial thing? What is that? I think we're just in that weird space, you know, that, um, you know, I wouldn't go right to the because uh, she's black thing. I just like I think it's just a weird space. Like, like you said, conservatives are usually ones of saying, oh, you shouldn't do this. And then liberals might have this type of thing. But th- at the same time, conservatives are also sons that say don't do this. And so it's like people just get outraged just to get outraged, it seems. And um, there was another another thing that um, briefly that commercial one of the commercials. So everyone looks forward to the Super Bowl commercials. And there was an organization that put out um, that he is us. Uh, he gets us campaign um, on the Super Bowl. And this was um, they did a, a voiceover of a commercial with black and white pictures of, uh, you know, demonstrations and some struggle things and hot button things that are going on in the news. And they're given this um, this narration of like, oh, there was a man who was also crucified for his beliefs and and talk this and that. And at the very end, it's like, you know, talk, it's it's Jesus. And they're like, well, he gets us. He understands. And they have other commercials talking about Jesus was a refugee, too, and all this and that. But what's crazy is like both sides are upset at this commercial. Um, so the Democrats, Democrats, well, let me say the liberal side. Some were questioning the commercial because they're like, um, you know, you spent $20 million on this to make, try to make this message. You could have used that $20 million to actually do some work with it. Uh, people, and right, get people off the street. Right. You know? And then, and then conservatives are are upset with like the messaging on there. Oh, this is just some liberal propaganda. Like we're supposed to love everybody uh, or whatever that kind of stuff is. And it's really weird because the people behind the, the commercials it's even weirder there because you go to the website, you look at the commercial and it seems like it's this inclusive, like everyone come together type of thing. This just spread this message uh, that Jesus would have wanted to spread and all this and that. But apparently behind the scenes, like the donors are like ultra conservatives. Um, the guy that that um, owns Hobby Lobby is one of the main con- uh, donors to it. Um, so people are upset about their their ties to like some of these extreme right positions. And it's just like. You see, All a mess. It's weird. I wouldn't be surprised if some people behind something like that were foreign actors just trying to sow division in the U.S. Well, we've certainly seen that over the years, and uh, no, no bigger place to drop a stink bomb on America's culture than at the Super Bowl. If that was your intention, uh, I don't know that that was the intention of those campaign that commercial in particular. Um, Maybe they're just trying to reestablish Jesus as a relevant part of our society, but it certainly could be perceived in many different ways. Yeah, I, I just I thought that was funny. Like you angered both sides. Like at least they came together on something, right? <laughs> so what I also what found interesting up. was looking at the cost of a commercial on the Super Bowl and how every year it goes up, right? This year, reportedly, it cost $7 million for a 30-second commercial. Just the air one. Wow. That's insane. But if you go back, let's see. If you go back last year, okay, it was about $6.5 million. The year before, $5.6 million. But due to, like, I mean, I, I, the, the, the return on that has got to be crazy. If you're paying $7 million, like, the return in mo in many cases has got to be much better than that. Cause a lot of people come back every year, you know, Budweiser is like religiously uh, putting out Super Bowl commercials. So they got to be getting returns on that. General Motors yeah. is another one that had a huge campaign this year. They didn't even have the cars for sale yet that they're selling. There's an EV campaign. As a matter of fact, 
their campaign drove Google searches for Tesla mm. because people associate EVs, even though the commercial was for GM, the EV is what people took away and they went and tried to search for Tesla instead. So I, I don't know. The the ROI on those commercials is, is a little shaky sometimes for sure. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard to measure, I would think. I mean, a company like Budweiser maybe is just expected to do it now, but they've got so much money to play with and maybe they're just trying to stay relevant in pop culture. Maybe they think that'll help them throughout the year and kind of like a long-term play. I don't know if it's very easy to measure how much money they brought in directly as a result of that commercial that one day. Right. And I mean, like I said, and they're kind of they're kind of expected to put a commercial Budweiser's in specific in particular, like they're kind of expected to put out a commercial for the Super Bowl. And usually they have some of the best ones. So I don't remember their commercials this year at all. Maybe I missed them. Um, Overall, I wasn't too impressed with the commercials this year. Yeah. They were pretty flat, I felt like there were there wasn't like that breakout like. Oh shit! The the one that people are talking about the most is the Tubi one, Tubi. but only because it it looked like they were changing your channel, not because it was anything like super cool or anything, you know. But I think it was pretty much of a it's a genius move because it got people talking right. Um, immediately, social media went out like, oh yeah, I bet everybody had Tubi had everyone talking about where's the remote. Right. And so, like, that's the buzz that you're looking for. You want that chatter to keep going on. Like, who really has heard or knows much about Tubi? But now everyone's exactly. talking about it. Exactly. So I think they probably, if, you know, from a mindshare perspective, they probably won. You know, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. So. So that's a good segue into Quasi and Wit you've been up to. I know you worked on social media for Bad Boy Records, right? You've done a lot. So why don't you talk about your background, your history, and what you're working on now? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, uh, I guess long story short, my family is from Ghana. Uh, I'm a big Eagles fan. I grew up in Philadelphia. I went to Penn. And so uh, it was a pretty big night, I think, for many of us who are Philadelphia Eagles fans. Uh, with Jalen Hurts emerging as a leader and as a, as a, not just a leader on the field, but a leader in our society over the last year. It's been amazing to see him grow up in front of our eyes and for him to lead the team to the Super Bowl, I think was just an amazing thing for all of us. Um, I went to University of Pennsylvania. After that, I actually did institutional investment banking. Uh, I was on Wall Street on 9-11 and, you know, uh, we can talk about that in another podcast, but let's just say I walked home 45 blocks that day to my apartment. Um, and uh, after spending another two years on Wall Street, I actually moved out to California the second year of my program. I kind of got a little bit disillusioned with Wall Street. I didn't think that for me at that time, it was the right path to be on. And uh, I decided to move to Los Angeles and immerse myself in digital media uh, and journalism. Uh, I started my career doing this, interviewing people, right? And uh, using the press pass to get backstage, to build relationships with people. Uh, That led to interviewing people like John Legend and actually Kanye. I did one of his first uh, magazine covers. Eventually, I, I, I was able to kind of frame, wrap my head a little bit around the emerging social media ecosystem. And this was 2003. So MySpace was huge. Other platforms were just kind of getting off the ground, like Facebook. We had Napster that was really changing things up. And so I had this idea that if I could immerse myself in digital media, could become an expert, then I could offer value to the record labels and to the media industry uh, that maybe no one else could. And my theory was right because one day, uh, ironically, I was taking the GMAT to try to go to graduate school. Um, I was going to go to USC to, because they have this MBA for media. And when I got out of the test, I had a job offer uh, on my message from Sony Music. They had asked me to join their digital media team, which uh, at the time it was just marketing. Um, And when I got there, uh, they only had websites. There was no social media at the time. As crazy as that sounds, they did not even have 
They didn't have MySpace pages. They didn't have Facebook. They had none of that. They didn't. They also did not have any relationships with bloggers like One Two One Two, like like Jay. Um, my job was to start to re- develop those relationships. And Jay, I don't remember even when the first time we met was, but at Sony, in addition to building out their social media presence, my job was to reach out to Perez Hilton, reach out to Chuck Creekmore, reach out to you know, uh, uh, you know, Nicole Beachy, and all these emerging blogs at the time. And really build those bridges between Sony and and those and, and those and those blogs. I then went to Cornerstone. After that, Cornerstone promotion. You guys might know the Fader Magazine, Fader Port. Um, yeah, you know uh, Rob Stone and John Cohen, amazing, amazing visionaries in the space. And uh, I got really lucky. I was there the summer of two thousand and six, and I got to run some amazing campaigns for Princess Thirty One Twenty One. Soup Dogs Blue Carpet Treatment, Ice Cubes Laugh Now Cry Later, Norris Barkley Saying Elsewhere, Pharrell's In My Mind, Philip Coyley Eardrum, Outcast Idlewild, uh, Norris Barkley Saying Elsewhere, I mentioned that one, and then P. Diddy's Press Play album. Uh, and when I was working on that campaign, uh, within a week or two, I got the call from, from Puff and from Atlantic at the time, and they were like, hey, uh, we want to hire our first digital media executive at bad boy. And I, I was the guy for that job. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I was sitting on, uh, when I got the opportunity to interview, I had to interview with Puffy himself. And it was a very, at that time, this job was working hand in hand with Puffy as the digital media director, because I was basically managing his entire digital presence, um, across all of his brands, across everything. And so it was very important to him that he actually had a relationship with whoever that person was going to be. Uh, and I remember sitting on the couch during the interview in his uh, penthouse in uh, Park, Park Avenue North or whatever. And he said to me, you know, why are you the person for this job? You know, and I, I thought to myself, I took a second and I said, you know, because I've always wanted to build an online empire, like you've built an offline empire. And at that moment, it was like a light went off. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm getting, you know, I get the opportunity to work there full time. And for three years, I ran all the digital marketing across all of all of Bad Boys brands. Chirac Vodka was a new project that we launched together. Um, Notorious Movie, Biggie, Biggie's Greatest Hits, Danny Kane, Young Jock, uh, Making the Band. Uh, in 2008, I ran Puppy's campaign as a surrogate with Barack Obama, where Puffy, uh, Jay-Z, and Mary J. Blige all became part of the Obama campaign. And we created a destination site called Team Obama, where uh, we uploaded all these uh, endorsements and uh, of, of Mr. Obama. And Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige, and Puffy actually went on the road physically with Barack Obama the weekend of the election in 2008 and, and went on tour with him from Miami to Maine and stopped every city along the way and obviously helped uh, Barack Obama win that first election. So it was really special to be a part of that. And I got to go to my first Democratic National Convention that year. Um, fast forward to 2010, I leave Bad Boy. And uh, it was, you know, I left because I basically had a vision to build my own company, build my own empire. And over the last 12 years or so, uh, I've now, I've equity in about 15 different companies as an investor, as a founder, uh, 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 and I run uh, the Fedia agency, which is a marketing, full service business development and marketing agency as well. Yeah. Now, I think we've met either at your time with Cornerstone or when you got to Bad Boy. Um, you mentioned the the, the Ice Cube uh, project. And I do remember, I don't know, if maybe it was you, but it was definitely Cornerstone, I think. Well, maybe it was Cornerstone. Because I went to the, the release that uh, when Ice Cube came to New York for that album. Um, and so it was either maybe it was through you or it was through when you were at Cornerstone or it was just Cornerstone. Because I had relationships with Cornerstone at the time as well. Yeah, Remember that? J- J- Jay Nichols as well, who ran the radio group. Yeah. Jay, I actually remember that event. I wasn't there, but you were telling me about it when Ice Cube was releasing his new album. But I think somebody asked him, why is he releasing a new album now? Given he doesn't need to, he's successful in movies and everything else he's doing. Why is he going back to rap? And his answer was, because I'm a B-boy. Yeah, yeah. It was, he was mad cool. I actually uh, chopped it up briefly with him um, at that point. Um, and, and just like you said, you, you 
went out and you did um, interviews and, and network and stuff. And that's actually a lot. Uh, Mike and I did similar stuff. We um, through the website, the one, two and two, but also through um, previous websites, we would go and um, interview some artists and, and go to these networking events and do the same type of thing. So it's good. It's, I mean, good. it's, the, it's the way to get into the industry, right? You get that press pass, you yeah. know, Almost any celebrity will talk to you, right? Because you're a journalist. They either don't want to piss you off or they want some some shine. And right, so right. it was the easiest right. way to, to really expedite the relationship building process. Yes, uh, yes. You yeah, said it right sure. there. That is the hustle. And some people don't necessarily pick up on that, but that's the game right there. You're not going to people asking for them to help you. In a way, you're offering them something. They have to get something. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. And so... Now you have value to them. It's not like, hey, Billy, please listen to my demo. You please give me a call back. I, I need your help. No, you're offering something to them. Now they want you. They're, so they seek you out. Exactly. Like I got introduced to people like High Tech and Snoop Dogg and, and Taboo from Black Eyed Peas and all these people, not because I was such a great guy or because I was a journalist and because the person introducing me knew that it was going to help them, right. right? To get, you know, Snoop Dogg in whatever or getting. John Legend in, in these publications. And so uh, the press pass, people don't really think about it as much as I think that they should. I know mm -hmm. it's difficult. People don't get paid as writers, but it's an investment you can make in your own career that I've seen myself, the ROI, it can return, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And we used we used um, some of those skills and relationships um, in, in your first campaign, Mike, when we were reaching out to some of these established networks and um, connections that we had it made over the years to get more press and whatnot. So see Lix has joined us in the chat. Um, so I want to now let's fast forward to um, the present day. You have, um, like you said, you're in a mix of all kinds of stuff. Like you said, you're on boards, you've got, you got Fedia, you've got, you're on Fast Company board. Um, and you've just launched, I think, was that, it was Sundance recently? Um, yeah. So, you know, forms. what's the 2050 forms? So in 2019, I actually launched this project initially, and we launched it at Sundance in 2019. And then we did one at Coachella and South by and the really simple, uh, the really simple idea is that in 2050, uh, I'll be 70 years old. Uh, the United Nations and many climate experts believe that if we do not reduce our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050, then the temperature of the earth will rise at an uncomfortable rate. And essentially, we will maybe boil, boil the earth, right? And like, we won't be able to sustain things like coral reef, and it'll set off a series of even more catastrophic and, you know, kind of... Uh, dramatic weather events. I mean, we've seen earthquakes the last couple of years. We've seen increase in earthquakes, in drought conditions, in uh, flooding, ironically, right? It, it, you know, it, it, and if we do not change the course of our society globally, and I'm talking about capitalism, I'm talking about, you know, producing vehicles and things that actually release additional carbon into the atmosphere if we don't get more serious about how we're changing that course then we're not going to have to worry about 2050 because we won't even be here right we'll be like you know uh we'll be on a course that none of us want to be on and so the 2050 forms uh which we just launched relaunched at sundance post pandemic uh we brought in subject matter experts from all over the world uh, to talk about humanity's greatest challenges, starting with climate. But we also, you know, brought in subject matter experts on things like gender-based violence and discrimination through our partners at the African Renaissance Diaspora. We had uh, 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 experts on period poverty, uh, Christine Gardening, the founder of Could You. We had experts talking about anti-Semitism and hate speech, Sammy Steigman, who is literally a Holocaust survivor who uh, was experimented on by the Nazis and, you know, to this day still deals with the pain that's a result of being in a prison camp when he was, you know, a young, a young child. Um, the, the reality is, though, even Sammy Steigman will tell you the things that are happening today in places like Tigray uh, and even in Ukraine and some of these other places, 
we might as well be in World War II because it's the same thing. We have not learned from our mistakes. We keep repeating the same cycle over and over again. It doesn't matter if it's in Syria or Iran uh, or in Tigray. We, we see humans treating other humans like dogs or worse. Um, and it's, it's not acceptable. And I, I think uh, it's up to all of us, including the three of us right here on this podcast, uh, to change how we're going to treat each other going forward, because if not us, then who? Absolutely. Now, now you did the forums, at, and it was like, um, if I remember the schedule, it was over two or three days you had uh, events planned? Yeah, so we initially thought about a three-day, uh, three day, three hours a day, and an after-party a day thing was the plan. What ended up happening was four days and about 12 events because when people started to understand what we were doing and what our goals were, and they saw the spaces we had and the kind of energy that we were pulling together, other sponsors came on board and wanted to produce events with us as well. So it actually ended up being, I mean, almost a 24-hour, four-day thing uh, because we were starting each day at like noon. We had our conversations during the daytime. We would have like a dinner or an evening thing. And then at like 12, we had two different after party venues that were going till maybe, you know, three or four in the morning. And so uh, it, it, it was pretty intense over the course of the four days. Yeah. Now you're taking this on the road, too. It's not just a Sundance. Like, aren't you also going to do this at South by Southwest? Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't know it was going to happen, you know, when I decided to pull the trigger. And, and keep in mind, uh, from when I decided to actually do the event to when our first event was, it was about a 40-day uh, runway that included Christmas and New Year's, right? Because I started basically December 10th. Our first event was January 20th. So in that 40-day period, we raised tens of thousands of dollars. People flew in from all over the country over the world, really. Um, and we were able to, to aggregate almost a thousand thought leaders over the course of the four day period. I didn't know, I didn't know that what was going to happen, right? I, I didn't know how it was all going to turn out. And what ended up happening afterwards in the last couple of weeks is that other festivals from all over the world have reached out to us. Uh, South by Southwest, our partners at Grit Daily have asked us to join and, and produce 2050 forums in Austin next month. Uh, at Coachella, uh, one of our partners has asked us to come to Coachella and produce 2050 forums again at Coachella. Our partners from uh, uh, Sundance, Misfit, has asked us to come to Cannes to produce 2050 forums there. Um, a few other festivals have reached out, the Pan-African Festival, the Da Vinci Film Festival, and actually COP28. Uh, we've been invited to COP28, which is a United Nations global climate conference. Uh, which is going to be in the Middle East this year. And we've been asked by actually two different groups now we're talking to about bringing 2050 forums to COP28. Uh, and so the, the, the response has been phenomenal. We've already started thinking about Sundance 2024 as well. Uh, and so uh, I, I, I just, I couldn't, I could never have expected this. Even today, another opportunity came to us to work on America's 250 year anniversary, which is coming up in 2026. Um, and so just so many things, uh, I'm still trying to understand all the, all the, the, just all the relationships and all the opportunities and, and really all the seeds that were planted, you know, because we talk about a thousand people, these are a thousand filmmakers, investors, influencers, some of the smartest, brightest, most talented people in the world that were all brought together around this, this simple idea of preserving humanity through 2050. And I don't know what that's going to turn out to be. It could there are probably ten companies that are going to be developed just from the people that met uh, that weekend. Maybe there's going to be five marriages and you know all these things just because we decided to pull this thing together. So I'm excited for the future and the seeds that we planted for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this yeah. is phenomenal. Just thinking of it from the perspective of. You know, you're a guy, as you tell your story, you started out in media and really in music, and now you're working on all of these important things for humanity. And 
almost in the political realm, if not directly, it's certainly political issues that you're working on. And I kind of took a similar path in my life. So I'm inspired to hear your story, you know, coming from music, getting involved in law and politics. I think it just shows people that you can have a very diverse background. You can come from all walks of life and you should. People from all walks of life need to be involved in these important conversations because it is our future and it's our children, our grandchildren. We don't know if we will even have a plan for them at this rate. And so everyone needs to be in on this. And I think it's dope to have people from backgrounds that you wouldn't expect. I mean, I don't think going back five, 10, 15 years ago, you would necessarily expect people from music to be so involved in these spaces or from entertainment, but we need to be. Everyone needs to be. I think we need to normalize that where we shouldn't put people in the boxes and say, you know, you, you come from music, you come from entertainment, stay in your lane. You should, you should only be able to do that for the rest of you. <laughs> no. That is my that is my least favorite, like, popular phrase. Stay in your lane, stay in your lane. What the fuck do you know what my lane is? Exactly. You know I'm, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm defining my own lane. We're trying to redefine the road. Forget the lane. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, uh, it's like that, that uh, at the end of Back to the Future, where we're going, we won't need roads. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. <laughs> Absolutely. No, uh, I but I think you're, you're 100% right about inclusiveness and coalition building. It's none of it can happen on its own. I mean, look at Barack Obama, who we mentioned earlier. His game plan of leveraging influencers and technology is why he became the president. He knew he needed a non-traditional campaign and and our society culture does drive so much of what becomes popular and relevant yeah absolutely absolutely and i thought that's why I, one of the reasons i wanted to ask you to come on here is to, to talk about you know what you're doing i think the 2050 forums is a really dope idea um and it's great to see that it's going to be extended and it's going to be a conversation that continues going forward so I think yeah, man, uh, who knows maybe it'll keep going all the way till 2050 and we can look back at 2050 at, at 2050 and be like you know what we did our job we preserved as much as we could the planet for future generations and if we get there we don't feel that way then i think it's our own fault because we have an opportunity today to choose which path we're going down and it's only our own greed or short-sightedness that will stop us from going down the righteous path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've been faced with this, these types of things for so long. It's not a very new concept. We've been sounding the alarms for a long time. You know, famously Al Gore, the inventor of the internet, um, sure. <laughs> he, he kind of sounded that in two thousands. Then you go back before that, um, you know, people were talking about what was happening with the ozone layer. And then, you know, even before that, in the 70s, there was um, this big alarm that was being sounded like, you know, look, this is what's coming. This is what we're doing. We have to take these steps. And there have been steps taken along the path. I mean, you know, uh, you go and watch old movies and stuff talking about like L.A. and, and New York and the, the, the fog or the what smog in L.A. used to be like, you know, so thick you could chew it. Now they've got like clean air. So even things like recycling, as, right, that, that happened in our lifetime. I mean, right. where it became the, the thing that everyone is, is supposed to do. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, people would throw trash on the street like it was nothing all the time. That was like normal. Right. And then society shunned that at a certain point and said, hey, we got to start treating the environment better. Right. And we can so we can make these changes. It's not like it's something that's not doable. It's something that is very doable. We just have to put in the effort to do it. I agree 100 percent. I mean, nothing that you know, sequestering carbon and, you know, not driving as much, uh, using less fossil fuels, transitioning to cleaner burning energy is something that we all, we all, we have the capability to do at the highest level. Do we have the will, right. the cultural like push and ultimately the political push to actually do that is the question. And that's what we need to inspire with the 2050 forum conversation. Absolutely. There's a there's a graphic that I found on the internet years ago that I love, and I actually keep it uh, on my computer. And it's a it's a talk between a little boy and Gaia, and Gaia is meant to be the the goddess or the ruler of the of the world and nature. And the little boy is saying, you know, Mother Gaia, I apologize for what humanity is is doing to the to the earth, and and you know, we want to help. We should help save the earth and. And she looks at it and she's like, oh, you know, I'm poor, self-centered humans. Uh, 
do you really think that what you're doing to the earth is, is damaging? We've, we've survived, nature has survived much worse than you. What you're actually doing is you're screwing, you're screwing up the environment for yourself and you're not going to be able to survive in it. And when you're gone, you won't be missed. So uh, I, mean, I think that's really a really very good out. point. That's really the earth is not gonna the earth is not gonna go anywhere the question is are we gonna be here or not right, right. yeah i mean we because we've seen it right with um when the pandemic hit and everyone went inside and there was less human involvement outside for like a good year year and a half nature started overtaking some places right the birds were singing dolphins started <laughs> swimming around and stuff i mean it, yeah. it was it was it was nuts right. it just shows you how much we do have an effect on every part of our uh ecosystem and and we do have the ability to change things one way or the other absolutely absolutely i think it's a wonderful thing um that you're doing um i look forward to to you know seeing how everything progresses and whatnot excellent yeah. well i love love working with you guys and i appreciate your support uh you know jay you've always been a, a big fan and supporter and helped helped move along many projects over the years and and i've always been a fan of your work as well and so excited to continue to build with you and thank you for having me on this podcast it's been amazing absolutely wait wait hold one one way you, forgot, <laughs> you mentioned that about the music remember we talked at one point i don't remember what it was we were supposed to be dropping your album i was supposed to be writing the lyrics you're supposed to be spitting the bars what happened yeah no and I, i'll get i'll get hank shockey to produce it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Public Enemy 2.0. Well, it's funny. I just, uh, Ice Cube was just talking about how when he left uh, NWA, the Bomb Squad is is who produced his records. And, you know, they were like the baddest producers at the time on the East Coast. Um, and, and over the years, I've, I've been able to develop a relationship with Hank Shockley through going to CES and being a part of the Leisure Technology. Um, he's an amazing guy, you know, and, and if you saw him walking down the street, you would never know that he's, you know, an elder, you know what I mean? Cause he does not represent that way at all. Um, and yeah, there is a part of me that wishes I could go back to being 22 and, and start spitting rhymes and whatever, but, uh, I'll probably end up more like Mike and, and, you know, run for some elected office at some point before I drop a rap record. So <laughs> Hey, don't be so sure. I got some more music working on. I'm working on too. So I think it's that's a cool I mean, thing, it, man. You can, doesn't have to be mutually like, exclusive. There's no yeah, these exactly. days. Everything's backed no up. No staying right? in your lane, right? There's no staying in your lane. It's just widening the road. Absolutely, exactly. <laughs> absolutely. So that's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll circle back on that, Jay. All right, for sure, for sure. Before we wrap up, we wanted to talk about the alien invasions. <laughs> what's going on with these flying objects, right, Jay? The UFOs, right. like. Yeah, I think it's 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 funny, but then because it, it's funny, but it's not funny. Like it's been a week, and there's been four unidentified objects that the U.S. military has had to shoot down. Um, and you know, it's it's funny because people are saying, "Oh, is it aliens? Is it this and that? Or is it you know?" Uh, I think the first one they said was Chinese surveillance balloon or weather balloon. Um, but that's not a coincidence. I don't think that's a coincidence. You don't get four in a week that have to be shot down that it's a coincidence. Um, you know, what do you guys think? I think it's something that that's, you know, needs to be paid attention to. Yeah. Well, you know, a good friend of mine, Josh Rogan, uh, he works for Washington post and CNN, and he was interviewed about this the other day. And, you know, the reality is that there is a lot of surveillance happening that we'll never see because it's all based on satellites and whatever. The difference is that, you know, this, what they call, I guess, middle space between the lower atmosphere and space, there's like this area that typically airline, you know, pilots are not, or planes are not able to fly in because it's too high and satellites don't like exist in because it's too low. That is where we may be vulnerable. And that's where these balloons are like living. And so that should be alarming because if we're not defending that airspace appropriately, we know bad things can happen. Uh, and the fact that there are four of these, you know, objects that have been launched just in the last week at least shows that the pace at which, you know, wherever they're coming from is increasing. 
So that that in and of itself is a little alarming. It's like no matter if it's Chinese or Russian or wherever it's coming from, they're they're starting to test our defenses more, right? So that that is a little concerning. Um, but I, I would say that you know it's not off trend. If you look at U.S.-China relations and U.S.-Russia relations, I mean we are there is a war happening, right? And at the same time. You know, U.S. and China relations are not that great, right? Um, and there's a lot of talk about 2025 and China, the moves China is making against Taiwan. And so I, I don't think it, it's not surprising to me that there is this kind of escalation happening. Uh, you know, you talk about a Cold War, but a Cold War could get hot, right, in any moment. That's kind of like the the the, that's the thing there. So. Um, as much as I don't want to cause a panic or create fear, I, I would say that, you know, there is some reason to be a little bit concerned, maybe not in your day to day, but certainly I, I would hope our national security folks and military folks are on high guard if they're not already. And, and we just hope for the best. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, um, it would seem with four in such a short amount of time that, like you might mention, that someone might be testing uh, our resolve, our defenses, our reactions, which would be predicate, but be, you know, in, pre in preparation of something else. Um, and I think so, right. it, in that, yeah, in that regard, in that regard, the, the two big factions of our political system, the Democrats and Republicans, need to get it together because it, their, uh, their dysfunction is on display for the rest of the world. And this is a way that if they're testing us, they need to know that these two are going to come together and make sure that, okay, look, we may fight within, but, you know, there is a line that you, you can't cross with all of us. So I think the two need to really come together in here and show you mentioned Somebody mentioned earlier about, you know, uh, sowing, you know, uh, seeds of uh, conflict here in the United States via you know, the internet or via whatever, um, these are real things. I mean, we, we know that Cambridge Analytica and some of these other things that were used by foreign actors to influence our political system. And it's reported uh, on a weekly basis that it's an ongoing thing. It's not like it happened. It's like an ongoing thing. And I think foreign actors will probably get really savvy about how they are influencing our elections, how they are trying to sow this, this you know, uh, uh, you know, division in our country. Uh, and ironically, these are the things that we did in other countries, right? It's like, you know, I, I hate to, you know, to say it, but you know, Malcolm X, you know, famously called out America for, you know, doing things that then people do to us, which is kind of what's happening right now in a way. You know, yeah. if you look at the big picture and you see our enemies and, and how people in this country are reacting to each other, it's not very American, right? Like January 6th was like the least American thing, right? It's like, how, yeah. does, how do these things happen? It's because there are other people out there who don't have America's interests in mind and they're trying to, to hurt us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so... I think people need to keep these things in mind also um, in, in, in the spirit of 2050 forums, also to put in efforts to resolve some of these conflicts or some of these causes and to get on board with some of these actions that, that need to take place, um, which we almost forgot um, just to, to say the TEDx talk that I did. Um, is finally up on the TEDx channel on YouTube. And that was one of my, the topic was getting involved in these things and how not to let fear and, and doubts and worries and concerns derail you from getting involved. Because there are a lot of things that need people's voices. They need their action. They need their time and their effort, like the 2050 forums, like the, the causes that that's being supported there and just the, the causes that bring unity through the country. So got to make sure we do that. Yeah, so that was your good news, Jay. Why don't we put the link to your TEDx talk in the description? Definitely. I will do that now. Yeah, congrats on that, Jay. Good Thank shit. you. Yeah. So, unless you have something else, Jay, I guess it's about time we wrap yes. up. We'll go to the bottom line. Go to the bottom line.
All right. Well, we'd like to give our guests the last words, whatever you want to say, anything on your mind. It could be what we talked about or beyond. Yeah. Whatever you want to leave I would just, with, Quasi Asari, what is the bottom line? I would just say go Eagles. Life is long. We'll be back next year. Jalen's going to get that MVP. And we're going to get our trophy, and I'll see you on Broad Street. Okay. Okay. We, we should have asked him about the how he felt about uh, the Eagles color flying on um, flying in New York. I'm sure you love that. Did you see that? They had, I didn't see that. Oh, the empire state building had the Eagles colors when they clinched the NFC title. So a lot of people in New York were salty about that. No, I would be, I don't want to see the giants colors anywhere. Are you kidding me? Like that's crazy. But they also had the the chiefs colors. So I guess they were planning on showing both winners. But I'm more happy with that. <laughs> I mean, even you saw Dak Prescott came out. He got booed at the Super Bowl because oh yeah, he don't, yeah. He don't play that. No, you know? like, no Cowboys around here. He was he won the Man of the Year award too, and still got booed like for his charitable work. Right, <laughs> that's cold. <laughs> wow, well, quasi so, yeah, appreciate thank you guys you. so much. Appreciate you coming yeah. through. Um, it was a great. Great talk. Great hearing from you, hearing what you're doing. And um, I think um, it's very important work. So we definitely appreciate you taking the time out. Jay, where can people find uh, us? They can find us on YouTube at Nuance Show, uh, Instagram Nuance Show. Uh, of course, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can uh, get the, the shows automatically uh, pushed to your device. And um, yeah, that's where you can get us. And of course, we're live on Facebook every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, seven. Yeah. Excellent, guys. The pleasure. Yes. Thank you, Quasi. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for everyone for checking us out. As always, we've got work to do. Catch you next time.